0: But basically, it's called the Testicular Cancer Speaker Series, Mm -hmm. um, interviewing different survivors um, to give them a platform. Really, I want to provide hope to a lot of people, like newly diagnosed cancer patients. And then also, um, if I'm able to hopefully get on some like medical experts and um, people that can talk about some of the more medical terms, but also um, if people, people have realized that men don't like talking about certain things and they're not as open. Um nice. so it's definitely great that, you know, guys are starting to realize that and kind of opening that up for other guys to actually talk about their problems. Nice. I've done speeches on stages and stuff um about my cancer story. Okay. And most people probably cannot stand on stage and say the word balls yeah. to 500 people, yeah. especially your own. And it's just like but for me it's like talking about an arm you know, it's, it's like literally just another part of my body and not even awkward to talk about it anymore. Hopefully it will inspire others and, um, you know, just at a minimum, just to check at a minimum. Yeah.
1: Hello, my name is Matthew, and you have tuned into episode 16 of the Inbetweeners Checkup. I'm joined today with Jason Greenspan, who is going to be sharing um, some of his journey uh, over more recent times, uh, the effects that that's had on his life, um, and how he's using this experience uh, to move forward, and probably help some other people out there as well, I think. So Jason, if I can hand it over to you, and you can offer a little bit of an introduction.
0: Of course. Uh, thanks for having me to start off. Um, so I am 26 years old. i I'm from uh, the D.C. area, and I've been planning for a living, and um, I'm also a testicular cancer survivor, so I was diagnosed when I was 18 years old, um, right out of my senior year of high school. Um, it was actually right before prom and graduation, and um, I was literally just on the couch and found, I just had an itch. Uh, and one felt much harder than the other. It almost felt like a rock. And I went upstairs to my mom, and I told her, and uh, we made a doctor's appointment a couple days later, and he did the exam on me uh, and realized that it was testicular cancer, which I'd never even heard of before.
1: And, look, I mean, there's, I'm going to say, never a good time uh, for you to get this news as such, but with, I guess, all that other stuff going on in the background and, I guess, sort of that time where you're creating a bit of a sense of identity around yourself, um, how did the news, How I guess, how did you respond to that news?
0: I was very, so I guess I can answer that in two ways. So the first way is you never think it's going to happen to you. yeah. And that was definitely going in my mind. Um, on the other hand, I've never had a gut feeling before. And this was the first time I ever had where I think I knew something was wrong. I just couldn't pinpoint it, mm-hmm. which is kind of hard to describe. But I was still very surprised. But at the same time, I had this like little thing in me that was like, okay, this is your answer. Like you knew it was something, this is your answer. Um, But it was also very difficult on my mom because my grandmother had just um, been re-diagnosed a few months prior. So for my mom, it was kind of like a double hit with both my grandmother and myself. Yeah, okay.
1: So in terms of, I guess, a support network um, beyond your immediate family, was this something I guess you felt comfortable sharing with your friends or were there others there that you could talk to?
0: Um, as far as my friends, I waited a little while to tell them. Um, I waited, I believe, until after both prom and graduation just because I didn't want to worry them. I wanted to really just get through that. Yeah. Um, so I started off actually with um, with surgery was the first um, procedure that I had and when I had that it it was I didn't know if I was going to even go to prom because depending on whether or when I had the surgery would depend on them when I went to prom Mm -hmm. um but we ended up delaying my surgery because I really didn't want to miss prom I thought that was too important I mean I was you know 18 that was like yeah. the most important thing <laughs> of my life at the absolutely
1: time. absolutely
0: so I waited until after you know to tell my friends but they were very supportive um during the time I think during chemo which I had um yeah, after surgery a few months after once we realized it hadn't all gone away um I definitely I didn't really talk to my friends that much i just you know i wasn't feeling really well um but they would still always check in on me whether i responded or not and they knew i wasn't not res- i was i wasn't not responding just because um you know i didn't like them or something it was because you know of how i was feeling
1: yeah yeah so can you talk to me a bit about i guess how you were feeling during, during that chemo
0: yeah so so I had three different cycles, um, each cycle lasted three weeks. So it was a total of nine weeks. Um, for, first, or for each of the cycles, the first week was Monday through Friday, every day. Um, I don't remember how many hours, I wanna say it was like five hours a day. Um, and then the second and third week, I went every Tuesday um, and it was just one, one day. So the very first week of each cycle was definitely the hardest because I was doing it every day. And I, you know, I ended up losing my hair. And at the time, and really even still to this day, it's always been like one of the important things to me for like my identity. Um, Just as a whole, I, even as young as like six years old, I would always gel my hair. That was like something I did from super little. Mm-hmm. So able to lose that was really hard on me. Um and a lot of times I you know I was very tired, my stomach hurt a lot. Um whenever I was in the chemo room, I would always wear a hood and it was and I would always usually like block my eyes so I couldn't see other people cuz when I saw other people who were also getting chemo, it, it almost made my stomach hurt because i knew what they were doing it's kind of hard to explain but it just i really had to like get away and pretend i wasn't there
1: yeah i think what what it sounds like is perhaps because you had experienced what they had experienced when you saw them in essence you were empathizing with their experience and that was I guess, translating onto you and how you felt. So when you were in, I'm gonna call it a fragile state, as such, Mm -hmm. having that uh, additional thought process or or feelings could, could, I don't know, perhaps been a little bit overwhelming. So there was a a need to kind of just focus on yourself at that time and and do what you could, given, given the gravity of the situation.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. One of the things I found, I think, while doing that, one thing I noticed was in order for my stomach not to hurt, the only time my stomach didn't hurt was when I was sleeping. So no matter where I was, I would always try and sleep. If I was in the car, I would just shut my eyes and try to pretend to sleep. When I was in the chemo chair, I would do the same thing. Um, The second I got home, I laid in bed. Um, and, I, and that was my way, I guess, of coping with that. Um, I know, you know, I did sleep a lot and it just, it, it definitely was, I remember my very first day of chemo. I'll never forget it. Um, I, you know, went in with my mom and they put the first needle in, which is just the IV. And I was thinking like, this is it, like, this is nothing. Like, all I have to do is sit here every day. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to do anything. I just sit here with a needle in my arm. I can look at my phone. I can watch movies. Like, this is really that difficult. And I quickly realized that it was. Um, and, you know, I learned the hard way. And um, I also always remember that on the, on the Friday, every Friday of that first cycle, for so the times that I would go in every single day for that first week, I always threw up. It was that one day and that was it. And first time it happened and throwing up has been like my number one fear. It was back then. It still is to this day. And the second time I was like, oh, this was kind of a fluke. It happened last Friday. But by the third time, I knew I was like, "Today is the day and it happened the same way. It was kind of strange in that regard, but yeah, it, it, it was it was difficult.
1: Yeah. I guess given um, you, were, you were having that stomach discomfort and, and, you, and you had the, the, the vomiting and such, um, did you change your job, diet as a result of that, or did you need to, I guess, change your diet, just generally speaking, to kind of, I'm gonna say work with the chemo per se?
0: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, So I did take an anti-nausea medicine at the time um, to help. So I wouldn't feel nauseous a lot of the time. But as far as eating, I didn't do a lot of it. My mom really had to like force me to eat. I really didn't have an appetite at all. Um, And I think at times I couldn't distinguish between me being hungry, me being full. I think both of those kind of felt the same to me because basically both of them, it's like my stomach hurts or my stomach just hurts in any event. So it was really difficult to find out like what the hell my stomach is saying. Yeah. Um, and that was really hard. So, you know, my mom would try and get me to eat fruit. I found out that, you know, cucumbers were like my best friend. So I would have those as just a really healthy snack. I'd dipped them in um, salad dressing. Um, and that that really helped me eat. Yeah. Um, as much as I could but yeah. I, I lost a lot of weight and I was very skinny at the time and I still am so I was probably 100 pounds at the time and that was like normal for me mm-hmm. so that even think of losing any weight from there was just like unacceptable for my body because it just like I couldn't afford it
1: yeah yeah and and how long did that chemo process go for
0: it was nine weeks nine so weeks, I so. ended it two days before Thanksgiving of that year of 2012. Cool. All
1: right. And how was that Thanksgiving meal, if I can ask? It,
0: it was very, I was very thankful that year to say the least. I definitely, it, it was, it was amazing spending that with family. And, um, even when I was with family while I was in chemo, it was difficult for me to really show my head because just being super self conscious, and. I guess a weird way to put it, so you back to the the chemo time frame when i when I was doing that, because of my weakened weakened your immune system, so because of that, I wasn't able to really go anywhere in the public because if I were to get sick, like the mine most minor thing ever, I would probably have to go to the hospital um so. In fact, there was one time I did. I think I had like 104 fever or something, and I had to go straight to the ER because, or straight, yeah, I think it was the ER, Um, just because, um, you know, because of what was going on. And um, my mom would always, I like Chipotle, I love Chipotle, and my mom would always get my Chipotle usually on the way home from chemo every day. But I had to sit far; I couldn't afford to go inside and potentially risk getting sick. And when I think of it now with everything that's going on, it, it's very similar, actually, in the sense of, you know, you, you. I guess you don't really realize, um, you take things for granted, even like your health, and yeah. you don't think you're like, ah, I can go in, you know, public, it's no big deal. But it's like, if I get sick, it's kind of a problem. And now, especially with everything going on, it's really the same exact way.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess uh, post the the chemo, I guess there would have been that uh, recuperation period and, and, and sort of further testing. At, at what point did you kind of get the, the green light that you were okay?
0: Yeah, so the way it works with testicular cancer is they usually like you to go five years out with testing. So for the first five years... Mm-hmm. Um, It really was, and and every year it got a little bit better in the sense of, um, I think maybe after three years, I think I was able to have less tests kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would have a CAT scan, um, I would get blood work and I would have a, um, what is it called? (laughs) (laughs) X-ray, totally blank on the name. (laughs) And um, so I would do those, but then after the five years, Now I'm on seven years, so I'm two years past that. Um, It's not required anymore, but my mom still wants me to do it, and I still want to do it just as a peace of mind. So it's just, you know, I still have my schedule because I don't want it to be like, you know, we miss a couple of years, and then, you know, we're not on top of it, and then something does happen. Although the reoccurrence rate is like, you know, slim to none, but still. Mm.
1: And, and I guess, and just because I, to be fair, don't really understand, in terms of uh, causes, do, is there, do we know what can uh, increase the likelihood, whether there's genetics at play or
0: certain lifestyle scenarios? So As of now, there is no cause for testicular cancer. Um, like I said, my grandmother had <clears throat> breast cancer, so that's, to me, the only cancer in the family um, although, to my knowledge, they, they don't relate at all, um, but just that's the only thing kind of in my mind that I can think of. Um, no, they, they don't have a cause. However, um, since I had testicular cancer, if I have a son, the odds of him getting it are going to be higher because I had it. So it's hereditary in that sense. But I, I don't know, um, don't know, what actually causes it, like for me, since I didn't have, I never had anybody with it.
1: And, and I guess so, and I was potentially going to ask this, but you've kind of opened the door for that, I guess, in terms Here of again. going through that experience, I guess the ability to have children is that at yep. all impacted?
0: So I'm totally open about the subject. Yeah. Um, so when, so before I started chemo, um, I went to a sperm bank. And did that to that. That was definitely a very weird and awkward experience, especially while I was basically in high school at the time. Um, never thought I would ever be there, ever. Um, and also knowing that my parents were literally right on the other side of the wall was even worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, and <laughs> it's like, you know, no matter when I came out, was still super awkward because it's like both of us know what's happening, but both of us want to pretend nothing's happening. Yeah, it was the weirdest experience in the world. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, so I did do that. I ended up going twice because I wanted to make sure that my count was high enough because by having chemo, it can potentially um, kill sperm cells. Yeah. Um, or if it doesn't kill them, it would severely. Um, Uh, you wouldn't have a large sperm count anymore potentially not always but potentially so to play on the safe side they always suggest going to the sperm bank Mm -hmm. um so i did that um and once the chemo is over then it's usually good to check and just make sure so basically going back and just seeing just doing the test to see what your count is Mm -hmm. um so so far my my like i'm i'm fine um but we do still um keep what i had um just you know just because yeah yeah Yeah. um but no so yeah and actually it's funny because girlfriends actually will always ask me that or people i date and it's like no i I can still have kids
1: yeah yeah um and 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 i guess look to be fair because this stuff doesn't get talked about and because there's a little bit of awkwardness around it the information's not, not freely available. Um, so yeah, I mean, the more we, I mean, we don't necessarily have to shout it from the rooftops, but the more that we can kind of put the stuff out there, the more, um, I guess, aware people are going to be. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And as you said, it's not talked about and you know, there's definitely a stigma associated with it. Mm. Um, and one of what I'm trying to do is, you know, by sharing my story is breaking that stigma um statistics, I just want to say really quick is, you know, testicular cancer is 99% curable if detected early, which is why it's really important for guys to actually check themselves and, you know, know their body. Because um, at the end of the day, only you know your body, nobody else knows your body. Yeah. So if you're able to feel and you kind of have a baseline in mind, of how you, your body is formed, there's something that has changed you will then know that as opposed to finding that baseline when maybe that baseline is the problem yeah. which would not be the good thing
1: yeah
0: um and then the se- second statistic is that um it's so it's 99 curable detector early and um it is totally boring. <laughs> i apologize that's all right
1: we can get that skip, skip that, um, skip do, that do, one just add on do you know what the the rate of, oh,
0: that's yep. what I was, yep, that's it. Yep. Um, it is, so um, it's the most common t- cancer in men between the ages of uh, 15 and 44. Okay. Right. So that's why, so, you know, I'm 26 now. I was diagnosed when I was 18, and that's why I'm really trying. But, you know, again, I do just want to reiterate, that does not mean that somebody who's older than that or younger than that um, will not get it, because that's not mm. true. Mm. Um, it's just that's where most cases lie but everybody still needs to check
1: yeah yeah and I mean it's interesting like you you talk about that baseline I think because you know we our body speaks to us whether or not we choose to listen to it or not and I mean you 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 mentioned about that gut feeling earlier as well and I think we can get caught up in life and, and busy and stuff and not listen to our body when it's trying to tell us things and these things can uh, I don't want to say eat away at us but they can just kind of fester and, and grow into much larger things and I, I think especially for guys we tend to think oh you know we're tough she'll be right you know it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll walk it off or whatever the case may be yeah. um, and then we as humans we're adaptable you know so we adapt and this issue becomes just part of our baseline as you said and then we've we lose our frame of reference um and exactly. so all of a sudden could be a heart attack it, it could be yeah i guess um stage three or four um cancer and, and then it's like whoa where did this come from and it's like well actually there are all these things going on in the background
0: you just weren't paying attention or just paying or... attention if maybe not even not paying attention but not acting on them yeah yeah at a minimum
1: well I mean and then the, the flip side of there is those that I guess fear what could be there and then yep. think, well, I'm just better not knowing, which is again also counterproductive to the to the situation so
0: yeah exactly, and you know for me, I mean what, what I've always heard is if you're ever going not like you know one would but if you ever let's say have to pick out of a hat and you have to pick some sort of cancer because you're going to have it. The best one to pick is testicular cancer because it's the most curable if detected early. Okay. Like, um, that's what I was told, you know, really from the beginning, really reassuring comfort myself kind of mm. thing. Like, this is not the end of the world, even though it certainly felt like it at the time.
1: Yeah. and And I think... One i 'm going to say positive around that is that uh, it puts you in a, a better mindset when you 're going through all that stuff, because for someone who perhaps uh, has a cancer that is less treatable, um, if they i guess don't have hope in in that treatment process. Uh, the chances of coming out the other side, I would say, are quite diminished. Um, so exactly. in, in, in terms of, I guess, looking to raise awareness uh, outside mm-hmm. of obviously ha- having a discussion w- with myself and others, w- what, are you, what are you looking to sort of do at this time?
0: Sure. So um, at this time, um, I'm in the process of starting my own podcast. Um call it testicular cancer speaker series. And I want to allow other um, testicular cancer survivors um, to really have the platform to share their story with other people, Mm -hmm. Um, really inspire hope for um, newly diagnosed cancer patients Mm -hmm. and also provide um, knowledge for um, certain things, whether it's, um, you know, a lot of people have like survivor's guilt and, and different things that people have. Um, And to really hear from other people who maybe have been in similar circumstances um, to really hear that and hopefully help them. And also for people who are wanting to um, raise awareness, but don't really know where to start. Um, You have also people on the show who have done an amazing job with that, that can hopefully inspire others um, and maybe give them some creativity to, you know, kind of run off and do their own thing and, you know, make a huge impact. Has there been,
1: I mean, because you've kind of come out the other side, as it were, and, and, and you've got that understanding, but also, a, a, I'm going to say, a, a better perspective on life, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Is there much in the way of support groups? I mean, have you had an opportunity to perhaps talk to people who are earlier on in the process and kind of give them some, a little bit of guidance or, or light, as it were?
0: Yeah, so um, there's an organization called Immerman Angels, um, and they are not just testicular stickler cancer. Um, they're actually, I believe, cancer in general. Um, I think men and women. Yeah. And um, they, if somebody is newly diagnosed, you can join, and then they'll be, um, like, mentors. And um, if you need just to talk to somebody, basically they'll pair you up with somebody who's had your type of cancer, who is in your age range, um so it's very and depending on the situation maybe even you know in the same area as you possibly um so i never went through that from a patient's perspective um but once i got on the other side um i did do that for a few of the people um just to kind of be that support um and i've also um you know been active on the different facebook groups and things like that um to you know, lend a hand. And if people do want to talk, either for them. Um, yeah. That's
1: cool. And, and so I just want to touch on something. So you mentioned mm-hmm. from a patient standpoint, uh, that wasn't mm-hmm. something you were part of. Was there any reason for that?
0: Um, no. So I did not know anybody who had it at the time. Right. That was the main reason. Yeah. Um, but my grandmother, so at the time, the only person I knew who had it was Lance Armstrong. So that was like the number one. And um, I had tried so much to get in contact with him Mm. because he at the time was like a really big inspiration and still is. And um, my grandmother had ended up doing some research and she found uh, some newspaper writer who I believe had testicular cancer and reached out to him. And we did go back and forth a little. Um, but he was probably the closest thing to a support system, um, of having the same type of cancer besides obviously my grandmother who had also had cancer.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so it would be fair to say that your grandmother played a, a support role for you during that time as well, given her situation.
0: She was the only person really that I knew, but definitely in the family also, um, that, knew exactly what i was going through Mm -hmm. um you know my mom took off nine weeks worth of work i think a little longer um to sit with me in chemo every single day um so she was definitely like the support system (laughs) for me um but even though she was there and she saw it firsthand she still didn't know what i was going through internally yeah um and my grandmother Wow.
1: Mm, that's, that's tough. Been through that experience. Um, you've, you've come out the other side. What, what are some of the, the key takeaways you would have from that, I guess, overall experience? And, and for those who are perhaps in the early signs of coming to terms with their own situations, what, what can you offer there?
0: Um, definitely being aware of your body and not being afraid to tell somebody about it. Don't just keep it internal. Um, you know, if they are young, like I was, if they're afraid to tell their parents go straight to a doctor, you know, tell a doctor if, if you're afraid to tell your parents, but the one message that I've really been trying to share for everything is there's no reason to be embarrassed because everybody has it or at least all men have it. Yeah. So you shouldn't be um, embarrassed about your body.
1: Alison, awesome. hey, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on board and, and sharing your message. And I do hope uh, that for those out there who might be dealing with stuff at this time, that it gives them the courage to ask others, whether it be a family member or an expert in the field, um, so that at least they can either one know whether there's something worse there or if there is, um, work on a way to, um, deal with it.
0: Right. Definitely. Um, and just to kind of throw it out also, um, if anybody contacts you, I'm more than happy to be that resource. Um, so you're more than welcome to give my information out. um, if anybody, um, you know, wants that support or wants to ask any further questions.
1: Really appreciate that.
0: Thanks again. Definitely. Thank you.